Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. It's Monday, November 26, 2018. We are coming to the end of 2018. This is our last podcast in November. Uh, it's going to be, next time I talk to you, it will, be, it will be December. And so this is episode 81. We have a couple things uh, before we share some cool stuff with you with a guy from West Virginia today. I, I can't wait to share this with you. Um, first and foremost, I want to kind of step back to last week. Last week, we were able to talk to Doug Newton and he is representative of the National Prayer Ministry of the Free Methodist Church. And uh, I want to give a specific Recommendation Monday today uh, segment towards one of his books. And I actually got a bunch of, of books from him, um, but I've only had the time to start to go through one of them. Uh, so I, I'm sure all of them are great, but I can't personally recommend all of them at this point. I can recommend the one that I started to go through, which is called Choosing Mary's Place. And you may remember we talked a little bit about this, um, I believe, last week when I talked to Doug. Um, but it is called Choosing Mary's Place, A Path to the Prayer-Centered Life. And I can highly recommend this book um, for a few reasons. First of all, if you're like me, as we talked about last week, um, it's just so easy to know that you want to be a prayerful person and you want to see powerful prayer, but you know how do you do it? People just say, well, you just got to set 10 minutes aside a day and then you know maybe set an hour aside a day to pray. It's like, how do you practically do this because there's so many distractions in the world at least for me maybe you're like me and so what this book does choosing mary's place you start out with the first half of the book it's called the study and you're getting an idea uh on on why prayer is so important not just why but you're looking at these biblical passages and you're discovering the urgency of prayer the motivation behind your prayer the competence of of how you can do it and then the determination of saying i will do this and uh what doug argues and what margie argue in this book uh what margie argues i'm, I'm sorry margie uh, they argue you know that you need these four things urgency motivation competence and determination these four things together will get you on a, a prayer-centered life that, that will be that kind of prayer that you've been looking for that you won't say, oh, I did it for a week and then, you know, I kind of fell away. So this is uh, the first half is the study and the second half of the book is called The Practice and it's going to walk you through step by step what kind of things, what kind of habits, what can you set up in your life to um, start praying the way that you know you should be and praying the way that you see in the Bible, in the scriptures, in Acts. You know, we see Jesus praying in different ways than most of us have prayed. Um, and so I, I highly recommend you go pick up a copy. And uh, as we mentioned last week, it's on DougNewton.com. Um, I will put another link in the show notes for you today. But it's called Choosing Mary's Place, A Path to a Prayer-Centered Life. And I, I'll just say one more thing about it. One other thing that I really appreciate uh, about this book is uh, many Bible studies have just so many. Um, it's almost you get weighed down, don't you? I mean, there's great 
Bible studies out there, but when you get a Bible study and you go, wow, I got to go through five days worth of stuff here and you know there's there's 20 questions per day it's like how do you have the time to sit down and read these passages truly reflect you know pray on what you're reading then answer all these questions well in this workbook uh, choosing Mary's place it is a workbook not just a book um, but they've they specifically point out on the very one of the first pages that they have limited uh, that amount of how many questions they're asking so that you don't feel bogged down or overwhelmed by the amount of work that there is to do uh, per se on in the study. So again, I do fully recommend it. I, I recommend that you go pick it up today if possible. Order it to your house. Order it for someone that you know would like it for Christmas. There's still time to get it in. Um, so there you go. Now, um, some other things uh, that I just wanted to mention. Um, first of all, uh, you may have heard or you may be familiar uh, with the Bishop's Crisis Response Fund. And the Bishop's the Bishop's Crisis Response Fund is the first line of rapid response to aid free Methodists affected by natural disasters, famine, and persecution. It's a means for the United States Church to provide immediate focused assistance through our church's local international and missions infrastructure. Um, so the bishops have kind of set up this crisis response fund when bad things happen. So a hurricane comes. I mean, we're not just talking the United States. We're talking globally. When anything happens globally, they, they look and say, all right, what's going on with this natural disaster? What's going on with this crisis, uh, this persecution, this famine? Uh, is Could money help? Is there any way that, you know, aiding them with money in this situation could help? And so they, they assess the situation, the bishops, and then they say, let's send X amount of money out. Well, of course, this fund needs to be funded. Uh, so they, uh, thanks to, to people like you who are listening, there are generous free Methodists who donate, uh, whether it's once a year, whether it's on an ongoing basis, monthly, um, but people donate towards this fund and then they can send the appropriate funds out. Um, and it's constantly needing to be replenished because as you know, just from watching the news, there's always, always disasters happening all over the world. And, and the more money we have, the more we can send out to, to, to provide relief. So, of course, the most recent thing, if you've been keeping up, is this wildfire that started that they're calling the campfire uh, in California. And so there was a, an article, and I will put a link to that as well in your notes today that you can go and check this out. There is an article um, on fmcusa.org that talks about what has happened here uh, with the wildfire. And specifically, it's affected a few um, free Methodist churches, uh, but... The article makes a point to point out that that hasn't stopped these churches, these free Methodist churches, from serving their communities. Um, so I'll tell you a moment in a little bit about what they're doing, just briefly. Um, but these donations that are given to the Bishop's Crisis Response Fund, um, they will actually help these local free Methodists that are already plugged in in those communities continue to assist the neighbors that are there in need of shelter and support as they recover from the devastating blaze that is going on there in California. So um, these two churches that are in the burn zone, one is pastored by a guy named James Lackey, and it is called the Table Church. Uh, they were in the evacuation zone, but the fire line was contained at the time, and they were allowed to return to their homes. Um, the church has not been touched. Um, the, uh, the second one is pastored by Pastor Phil Gilmore, and it is the Foothill Community Church, and it was near the evacuation zone, um, so they did not need to evacuate there at the actual church location. However, three families of the Foothill Church, who are attenders, members, uh, they lost their homes and all their belongings in the fire. So it has been physically affected, uh, the membership there, you know, as far as um, 
the homes and the people and, and just, of course, all the neighbors. I mean, they're all neighbors to these people, to everybody who has lost their homes, lost family members. Um, and both churches have stepped into aid. This is all coming from Superintendent Mark Adams from the Sierra Pacific Conference. Uh, so there's a lot more within this article that you can see uh, specifically of what these people have been doing. It's just been pretty um, amazing, um, it, it, even including uh, the, the associate pastor over at the Foothill Church, Jeremy Carr. He has re- assisted uh, first responders first responders as a chaplain for the sheriff's office and so he's been going out and uh he wrote a long facebook post that you can see as a part of this um, article there where he just said this is what i've been seeing and he he even stops sometimes and says i don't want to get even deeper into this because it's just too devastating to really uh and too graphic to really tell you you know some of the things uh, as he goes throughout his description but you know even just from watching the news you know that this has been really bad that people have not only lost their homes but people have died in this fire and it's just been really bad so it would be great if you could donate towards this bishop's crisis response fund it'd be great if you could uh um give towards that. And and what's really awesome about this response fund is you know that um, no matter, even if they make above and beyond what they need to send to California in some way, uh, they're going to they're going to use this any money that's given in the greatest way. We we know that we can trust our bishops. Um, that's one thing I love about the Free Methodist Church. And, and to be honest with you, in certain denominations, you know, you, you wonder about the leadership. You wonder, you know, with with the splits and things that go on, you just get concerned. You know, you wonder about what are they thinking, putting this person as bishop, right? In certain denominations right now. Uh, but but I can honestly say, and I know many of you out there. I hope all of you out there listening are kind of on the same page with me to say, wow. Our three bishops, you just you, you feel like you trust them. You know that when you send money to this fund, you're not going to say, well, I hope that gets where it's going, right? You know it's going to get to the most important spot because these guys, uh, our three bishops, are just doing what they need to do. Um, they're, they're getting involved, and, and they're not trying to be outsiders coming into the situation. So, you know, you're not sending it to these bishops, and then they say, they show up going, well, I've never been to California, never been to this state. Uh, what do I do? Um, they're, they're sending it to these community churches that are going to then branch out and the table church um, specifically and the Foothill Community Church, then they're going to branch out and make a difference. So um, again, I I hope to have more on this story for you soon. I've reached out to one of the pastors of the table church um, and hopefully uh, next week or the week after we may speak to him and uh, hear some more firsthand of what's happening and and how their church has been reaching out. Um, but for the meantime, uh, go ahead and check out. Please do uh, go and check out that article, and please consider giving towards the Bishop's Crisis Relief Fund as well. Um, our last thing to do before we, we transition over here into our interview for today is uh, we want to take time to pray from our Free Methodist World Missions prayer list. Um, and so today we are guided to pray on the 26th of November to Nigeria. And uh, Nigeria, of course, we have a little bit of a a history here of of knowing what's going on in Nigeria because here on the show, we talked to missionary Phyllis Sorter, didn't we? Um, Now, uh, here in in specifically in the paragraph that it gives us here for today from the prayer guide, it says that three ICCM schools serve the children of Fulani herdsmen in the north. Thank the Lord for the education and the message of the gospel being received in these schools. And we need to pray for the continued outreach to the Fulani children and the parents. 
So that's what we're trying to do today. We're gonna be praying for that. And um, if you wanna go back and listen to the interview with Phyllis Sorter to hear a little bit more about what's happening in Nigeria, you can listen to episode 67. That was back on July 30th. Uh, It's titled, The Kidnapping of an American Missionary Tells Her Story of Being Kidnapped. Um, And uh, more recently, even than that episode, uh, Phyllis Sorter, she she went through some really uh, big health issues. and, And honestly, you know, prayer was a big factor in that because there was a bleak outlook for for uh, a scary amount of time on her life uh, there in Nigeria. And so she has now recovered. She's back doing the work right in Nigeria. She jumped right back into it right away. She gets out of life-threatening situation. She's back to work among the Fulani people. Uh, so this is awesome. Um, the, these these things that we've heard and, and the, the miracles that have happened there and even, you know, from the kidnapping to her healing. And now here today, let's pray for her. Let's take the time to do that. And let's pray also for the for the fires as well. Dear God, we just pause here during this podcast to join together in the headphones or the speakers on the car, um, but we just pray right now, wherever we're listening from, that, that, that we would all be one in unity as, as you spoke in the book of Matthew, um, that we would be one and that uh, we would come together, that we would uh, be enlightened to how we can help with these natural disasters uh, in California, the more most recently we pray for this fire that happened and we pray that uh um you will continue to do the work um that you have been doing we we in reading some of the stuff from this assistant pastor just reading about these neighborhoods coming together and of course they've gone through this horrible stuff they're not they're not they're not happy about it but somehow there's this joy found there's this connection there's this community that they didn't have before it's just crazy to think We thank you for making the good things out of the bad. Um, And we pray that all of these bad things that that have happened that that cannot be be brought back, the things that were lost in the fires and uh, both the possessions and the people, we pray for those situations and that you will bring healing and and comfort to the people as much as that may seem impossible uh, to many. Uh, We pray that you would do that. Um, and we also just pray now for Nigeria. We thank you for your continued involvement with um, Phyllis Sorter, and we, we thank you for everyone that's involved, her nephew, and all those who are involved over there in Nigeria doing the work. Um, and we know from talking to Phyllis that uh, things are not necessarily safe there. It's not uh, safe. She could still open herself up to the kidnappings or whatever it could be. I mean, we don't know that that threat is gone. And so we pray that um, you will not only um, eliminate those threats from from being a, a part of the ministry there, but that that you would actually turn around these perpetrators, that if those those people are still out there, uh, those kidnappers and those who were at the at the height of, of planning this whole thing back when it happened years ago, we just ask that, that those people would not only uh, be stopped and, and not that this would happen again, but that even even more, that these people would turn to you. And I remember in the words of Phyllis that, that she would even be able to somehow be involved in just turning around some of these lives of her kidnappers for you, for the gospel. We pray that that would happen, that that crazy story would be able to be told um, and that people would wonder, how is it possible through Jesus? Um, and we ask right now specifically for the uh, the schools through ICCM. We pray that you'll be with these children as a Fulani herdsman. We think we pray that you'll protect them. That because of this Christian connection with the Muslim connection there as well, we pray that you'll you'll protect these ICCM schools and the kids that go. Um, and we thank you for 
um, this uh, education and the message of the gospel that is being spread. We pray that it would continue to spread not only to the kids that are attending, but also the parents uh, that are that these kids will go home to at the end of the day, uh, that they would hear and be transformed by the message as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanksgiving, but uh, I'm recording this a day before Thanksgiving here, and I'm, I have a, a pastor on the line. His name is uh, Larry Bailey, and depending on who you talk to, he may be a professor or he may be a pastor, or really, he's both. Uh, but Larry, thanks for coming on and talking to us this afternoon. Oh, it's a pleasure to, to, to talk with you today. Yeah, I... I uh, I um, know you're from West Virginia, and I know a little bit about you, um, but uh, I, I, we just talked briefly yesterday, just, just for the first time. Um, I don't know a lot, so can you start by telling us just a little bit about um, kind of uh, what led you to, to today in terms of um, your history in the Free Methodist Church and uh, also um, your connection to the university over there? Well, um, now my, my, my history with the Free Methodist Church was... Uh, uh, it's it, it short compared to most people in the Free Methodist Church's uh, heritage. Sure. I I joined the, the church in uh, 1994. Um, not from a, a family of Free Methodists or anything. Uh, I wasn't even a Christian. Wow. Uh, prior to then, I was. Uh, <clears throat> well, you can say I was a, a bit of a, a rogue in the in the years before that. But when I gave uh, my heart over to Christ. Uh, I ended up in a Free Methodist Church by chance, and I have remained in the Free Methodist Church uh, by choice. Um, wow. You know, as I went for uh, went to college and um, got my uh, advanced Bible degrees and so forth, um, I have found not because uh, anyone has uh, you know prodded me to. Stay with the Free Methodist Church. I, I have found it's 
it's very much in uh, in line with uh, what I have discovered to be sound biblical teaching. Yeah. That's... So uh, you know we've we've we stepped away from the Free Methodist Church for uh, uh, a few years, uh, but then we came back, and um, so uh, I have I, I've. Um, I have just enjoyed my my tenure with within the church. Yeah, I'm trying to do. I'm really bad at math, so I'm trying to do the math in my head. You said you started in 1994 was your first time entering, so that's uh, now we're looking at uh, over 20 years. So you've been yeah okay, awesome. So so to some people, I guess it's not too long. To others, they might be listening, say, "Well, that's that's only one year uh, older than me," or whatever. <laughs> if you're in your 20s, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, so many of the families we talk to, they're like second, third, fourth generation free yes. and, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of like me. Uh, I it seems like everybody that I meet is always connected. Oh, my my uncle's, you know, dad is the bishop or something like that, or you have some sort of connection, family connection, and then I'm the one who's not related to anybody. Uh, so that sounds like yeah. the same type of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's us. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. So then, how many years have you been um, working over at Hunting? Uh, I'm sorry, Marshall University. In Huntington. Uh, I started at Marshall University in 2008. Okay, so you've been there for um, 10 years. We had been serving in the Florida Conference. Um, uh, back then it was a South Atlantic Conference. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, the good Lord just started putting the call on their hearts to come home back to West Virginia. And uh, we uh, immediately almost... Uh, the church that I got my start in ministry and the church I got my start in faith in opened up uh, meeting a pastor and uh, we knew it was the right move and we, we came home uh, January 2008 to take over Living Water Free Methodist Church and that same year I, I also began teaching at Marshall University. Okay, and so you're the, the uh, biblical studies professor there at the Marshall University? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm the one who teaches the courses on campus. Okay, and be, just because I'm not familiar, and I'm sure a lot of people as well are not familiar, I, I, I don't think, um, tell us, is Marshall University, is that have any Christian connection, or it's a secular university? No, it is a state school. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. And so, um, but you get to teach, of course, now your classes are biblically based, because you're the Bible biblical studies professor. Um, yes. So I, first, just tell us a little bit about, is there any sort of being, you know, in a, in a state school, then you have the biblical studies oversight. Is there any sort of resistance to that in a, in a state school or have you been pretty, seen people been pretty open to what you're teaching? You know, it is, it is wonderful. Um, absolutely. Uh, they have let me uh, design my own courses Oh, wow. uh, so there's no, no kind of uh, university input on, on my courses, but I, uh, you know, no one has ever said anything, but, you know, I, I don't try to proselytize in, mm -hmm. in my courses. I don't try to turn anybody into, you know, good free Methodist. Um, yeah. <laughs> the thing that I do is I teach my students how to read scripture for themselves and not about what grandma or grandpa said or pastor Bob or, or whoever. Um, I, I teach them to 
to read the, uh, the words off the page of their own selves and, and let those words speak out of a historical context. Uh, the only thing that I approach in faith is, you know, I remind my students that the biblical writers were, you know, a people of a particular faith, and they wrote to a people of a particular faith, and we must mm. translate it through that in order to understand it. But, yeah. uh, you know, when you put the word in context, it speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome sure. uh, because most people don't have that training. And, and in fact, a lot of people don't even think of it through that lens of thinking of, okay, what does this mean in the original context? As as you said, most people say, well, you know, uh, my family just always says this passage means this. Or I heard a pastor say one time, uh, and it could or might, may or may not be real. You know, that they, they've never really studied or tested those words for themselves, just believed what somebody else said. Well, you know, there's there's two approaches to uh, reading Scripture. There's the confessional approach, reading it through the lens that we've been taught to based on our particular faith or denomination. And then there's the, the lens of the literary historical. You know, what was the writer saying to his community? Mm-hmm. And how did they understand it? And, and I think when we're able to, to set our, our doctrines aside, we're, we're able to get a, um, a, a more clear picture of, of just who these biblical characters were and, you know, their struggles, their, their joys, and, and just what was it that, you know, for, for instance, you know, what did the, the prophet Amos want us to know and, and why? And, uh, you know, we're, we're able to, to dig in deeper. And the, the truth is that people have become such selective readers in Scripture, um, the, the whole text is never considered. Yeah. And we, we put all the, all the different little single devotional passages uh, that we're so used to reading. When we put them in a larger work, they become so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, what, that's what we focus on. Yeah, that's great. And just get to people, get that understanding, like we're saying, of just the deeper reality and within the context. And then, of course, uh, uh, um, we, we take it from there of not just understanding or somehow gaining a bunch of knowledge about the scriptures that we somehow understand it. But then, of course, it's the next step of putting it into practice uh, and uh, understanding, well, what is, how does this now apply to my life? Um, and I would say, just from the little bit that I know about you, and of course, we'll talk more in detail in a moment, but I think that's something that, that you have understood and that you are doing in your life. You're putting the scriptures into practice. Um, well, and, you know, here's, here's one of the things that my, uh, you know, we are such a politically divided nation right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that my students begin to see, and it's not because I lead them on a specific journey, but as, for instance, this uh, semester, we're going through uh, the Old Testament in my literature class, and then I'm also teaching the Hebrew prophets. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that, that comes out is how much social justice issues are involved in the the writings of Scripture and, you know, the, the prophets who who charged the, the kings, the, the leaders, and the people. You know, there's a, a common theme amongst most of the prophets is, 
you know, taking care of those who can't take care of themselves, the widows, the orphans, the hungry, the homeless, the naked, the sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and that's very conducive, uh, you know, with our free Methodist faith. Right. But, you know, we don't have to stretch a point to get there. I mean, it's all scriptural. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very right, yeah. And like you say, you you look at, you could back that up with so many different things. You could say, well, the tradition of the Free Methodists and the abolitionist movement, and you can look at all these different areas, the experience of uh, even uh, modern culture. A lot of people are jumping in on this, but at the end of the day, like you say, it's scriptural. You look at the Bible, and, and there are so many passages backing this up. So we don't just have to look to tradition. We don't just look to experience. Oh, this is, this is a great thing. We can actually look to Scripture and see that as well. And That's exactly right. Um, yeah, God cares for hungry people, and we're charged with feeding them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's well, I guess that leads right into to our next thing, and and the main thing that got me uh, that that I heard your name from, of course. Now, you were you were uh, you've been in a pastor at this church, and you've been teaching at Marshall, but now now you're you're famous all over the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I came home from deer hunting Monday, just a, a normal pastor professor guy. <laughs> and uh, a reporter from Yahoo informed me that I had broke Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm checking to see right now. It looks like uh, the original tweet on Twitter, the original post on Twitter now has um, 4.35 thousand uh, people talking about it. And uh, I mean, there's more people that have reposted it and all this so there's tons of people talking about this now. For those who people are listening, what, what are they talking about? What's going on? So, so for well, years, you you've been doing this. Tell us a little bit about what you guys have been doing. Well, you know, um, back in 1998, when when I first went to college, uh, we went to a college in Central Florida. Uh, you know, way far uh, away from our families here in West Virginia. So um, when uh, when we were there, we realized that at Thanksgiving break and many of the students didn't have anywhere to go. And we opened up our, our home to them and just kind of adopted them and built relationships with them, relationships we still have today, by the way. Mm. Uh, but um, by inviting them into our home, we, we began to do it routinely. Uh, once a week, uh, we had a specified time of uh, come to our house, eat with us, and... Uh, get some couch time, take a nap if you want to, you know, hang out. And, uh, you know, it's just always been who my wife and I are as a couple because she loves to cook, and she just kind of begins to think of those college kids as her own kids. Yeah. And, you know, tries to take care of them. So um, we have always done that. So when uh, we came back to West Virginia and I started teaching at Marshall, uh, sometimes I give the, the invitation during uh, during class. Sometimes I, I give it uh, via email. But I want my students to know if they don't have anywhere to go, uh, Thanksgiving, Easter, or any of the big holidays, hey, come spend it with my family. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll love on you just like you're our own. Yeah, that's awesome. It um, goes back to what you were just talking about about your the responsibility to feed people and to to reach out to people. And so you've been doing this, I think, what, for, for now 10 years it's been, since 2008? Yeah. So this, yeah. this will be the yeah. 10th year, I guess. 
Um, yeah, we've had we've had a handful of students take us up on it. Yeah, uh, throughout the years, um, we've had more uh, just throughout uh, uh, the course of the semesters. Um, you know, I'm I'm real observant of my students. I, I care about them. I, you know, they uh, they're somebody's children, and uh, you know, I, I try to watch out for them. And if I perceive that they're in crisis, I I try to remind them, you know, there's a place you can come, and it's called my house. Hmm. And, you know, we will we'll help you any way we can. Yeah. Well, it's almost as if, like, when, when, when you're talking about it, and now it's been so many years, 10 years of, of just this tradition alone, um, and opening up your home and doing all this stuff, it's, uh, it's almost kind of second nature. It's just something that you do that's just normal, right? I mean, it's become kind of a normal thing for you guys. Is that, does that seem right to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is literally who we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I mean, it just it's part of what makes uh, my wife and I my wife and I. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think, uh, what are your thoughts on, so so for you guys, it's just normal. It's just, hey, this is just what what we do. Why do you think, I mean, this is such a, a big news story. People are reposting this. People are like, I can't believe this is happening. Why do you think it's it's so out of the ordinary that you, <laughs> you're inviting people to your house? What, what is what is our culture that it's so crazy to think that this would happen? We have become so self-absorbed as a people that we... We, we stay so introspective on on our own wants, our own desires, and, you know, we we have a tendency to, to forget about others. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we got a big eye-opening. We were pastoring a church in North Florida, and it was a big uh, route for uh, immigrants to use. And... In the Easter of uh, 2002, I had the, the, the biggest eye-opening I'd ever had. Uh, we had a, the, the day before Easter, on that Saturday, we had a, an illegal immigrant stop by the church. Hmm. And uh, he was hungry, and, and he wanted food, but he wouldn't tell me uh, what he wanted until he had an opportunity to tell me a story. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, at first, I was like, uh, so many people are, uh, you know, you get into the immigration issue and, and so forth, yeah. and I just wanted this guy to tell me what he wanted so I could, you know, deal with it and move on, but he wouldn't tell me a story, and his story moved me. He told me why he was in, you know, uh, America, and... Uh, what he had hoped to do, you know, what his plan was. And uh, he had got a promise from a grove owner in Florida uh, that they would pay him so much money if he'd come and work the orange harvest. And, uh, you know, he was going to send this money back home to his family. Well, at the end of uh, the harvest, the grove owner uh, kicked them all off the property, no payment. And mm. said, what are you going to do? Call the police? You're illegal. Wow. Yeah. So the guy's broke. <laughs> the guy's homeless. And he's trying to get back from Florida to uh, Mexico. And uh, my wife and I said, well, listen, instead of you um, 
uh, just taking a few cans of food and, and moving on, let us put you up for the night, and you have Easter dinner with us tomorrow. Wow. And um, this uh, this young man, he uh, he came into our home. Uh, he went to church with us the next morning. Had uh, we just set him up, treated him like royalty, and he made the comment uh, as we were eating Easter dinner that. Uh, you know, he and his family never see that much food in a month. Wow. And uh, so we we fed him up real good, and then, uh, you know, we, we got him back on his way. Uh, my my daughters uh, at the time, they, uh, he had, uh, uh, he was just had a little sack that he was carrying with him. One of them got, his, got their uh, school backpack. Mm-hmm. And put him a pillow and a small blanket, and then we loaded him up with uh, food. And you know, he he was like, "Well, I don't know if I can carry all this." <laughs> wow! But uh, you know, it's just it's who we are. We love people, and yeah. uh, you know, we don't see people based on ethnicities or or nationalities, or you know, we just we see people. Yeah, that's uh, so many different layers to that story as you're telling. I mean, there's stuff we've been talking about on this podcast. I mean, of the um, going back to the very beginning of the story of, of kind of the, some, some stuff of that ties into set free movement of kind of modern day slavery and just saying, hey, someone's going to work for me and then I'm not going to pay them and and uh, not slaves in the historical sense, but somewhat of of in a modern sense and. Uh, you know, um, that also just that idea that we've been talking about here on the podcast of community, of uh, opening up your homes and what I saw when I was in Cuba of this same type of thing, that the churches are all growing, but it's because um, they are meeting two to three times in the homes. It's not because they had a great idea for an outreach, you know, at the church that got everybody to the bounce house. I mean, that wasn't the thing that ultimately grew it and kind of what, what, uh, you know, you're in your stories too. It's this idea that you know it's opening up the home, being willing to look at your house as not a castle or a retreat for yourself, but an actual kind of given by God to then be used uh, for God's glory. And and it sounds like you guys have been doing that, um, not just in this one story that you know kind of took off and went viral, but it's it's been something that is just an average everyday thing for you guys, and that's great. Well, you know with with the, the difference between the church and the home. Um, in, in so many churches, uh, the people that gather there on Sunday morning to worship or throughout the week, um, you know, they're, they're cordial with, with one another, and, uh, you know, it's part of their uh, religious life, uh, the people there are, but then everyone goes their separate ways. And there's not that that bond, but when you when you bring people into your home, that's intimate. Yeah, that's where you you bring the people that you you love, and you know uh, we're talking about Thanksgiving. You know, that's the time when when families gather and when friends gather. That you know you share that with the people you love. Well, we have this philosophy in ministry. We love everybody. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, Christ gives us some powerful words about that on the Sermon on the Mount. Even our enemies love them. Yeah. So 
we we invite people into our into our our home, but we take that philosophy also into our church that you know we we want to have a, an intimate relationship with you in the sense that you know we're not just a Sunday acquaintances. Right. You know we're we're part of something so much bigger. And we try to translate that, you know, the there's not a separation between the home and the church. Yeah. We're the same people at both places. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's and and another thing that that's kind of involved with this is not just the church and the home, but now extending that same philosophy to the workplace, which in this case for you, uh, of course, is the is the university. Um, but it, it's true for anybody out there. You can extend that same type of community, not just to your church group, but to the workplace as well, and the people that are at your work, and you know, kind of looking around and seeing, okay, if it's an office play, if it's an office space, to say, all right, who who's here that's kind of on their own, maybe single person that's not doing anything. They're just gonna, you know, stay at home or something. Um, how can we reach out to them? And really, that apprenticeship to Jesus, it just infiltrating all aspects of our lives, not just the ones that we would normally think about when we think of, you know, Jesus uh, as far as the church or anything like that or the scripture reading, um, but every aspect of our life uh, would be affected. You know, it's, it's funny, the, you know, the, the, the term workplace. I have to remind myself every now and again that I'm not unemployed because yeah. I am like the, the, the luckiest guy on earth because People pay me to be me. Now, I don't get paid much, but I get paid to just be who I am. Um, I have a passion for, for teaching, and, uh, you know, the, the, the big joke on Marshall University uh, that they haven't figured out yet is I, if I had to, I would teach these classes for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, and if anybody from the Marshall administration is, uh, listen, I'm just kidding. Of course. <laughs> Don't tell him that part. You know, and then being a pastor, you know, when when the good Lord um, started uh, giving me that call, you know, um, being a, a pastor is not a profession. It, it's being the, the person that God's called you to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so when, when I go uh, to class, you know, I... I look and I have, uh, you know, my, my classes right now are capped at 35 each. So I, I look at my, my, my students not as, you know, being part of my job, but they're part of my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think that if I was still doing electrical work, I'd, I'd have the, the, the same kind of uh, heart that, you know, whenever whenever and wherever I'm with people, um, they're my people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, it, it's um, it's great to see, and um, I, I, I hope that more people who are listening or just those out there just around the world, no matter what church they're a part of, would just continue to and start to do start to do and continue to do these types of things as well, just to reach out to the communities and their neighbors, um, the people that they work with and, and those that are at the workplaces in all these different ways, because this is going to be, you know, where where the transformation really occurs more than just Sunday mornings, um, that an hour time that you would have together, but but the every everyday stuff 
Um, so this is just a, a really encouraging thing to see, um, especially especially in a time where you know we're seeing so many negative news stories. You hear you, you see something. Oh, there's a pastor in the news. Well, it's going to be something negative most of the time. Now to see something coming out that is positive about a pastor, and then of course we have the Free Methodist Association to it too. That's cool. Um, but uh, just uh, thank you for you know being open to that most people are kind of closed off or a little uncertain but thank you and your family for being open to doing this you know um you know one one thing i, I would like to share uh, a few months ago i i did a build up with my church and i told them that i was going to preach to them the the most powerful sermon most profound sermon ever preached and I, I built up to that for uh, a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, everybody showed up thinking that I was going to be pretty full of myself that day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I simply read to them the full Sermon on the Mount. Mm. I added no, no commentary, no comment. Just read to them that morning for the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so much of that is just about being a good human being. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, and, and it ties in with, you know, um, the, the home, the church, who we are as a people. And I think that is very conducive with who we are as free Methodist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and, and it's just a matter of... Um, catching on to those themes and not just reading them as, oh, here's the Sermon on the Mount again, but catching on to those themes. And then like we said early on, when you're talking about teaching the classes, it's figuring out what it means, uh, which a lot of times at the Sermon on the Mount isn't too hard to figure out. It's pretty straightforward, but it's just a matter of putting it into practice um, and, uh, you know, really not making any excuses for it, just putting these things into practice in our lives. Um, that's right. So that's awesome. Are you going to be, uh, you know, yet if you're going to make it down to uh, Orlando for General Conference? We're going to make every effort. Awesome. Um, well, if you, you know, make it down there. With, you know, our, our church is a small church. We just run about, you know, 25 folks. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I'm just adjunct uh, at, at Marshall. Uh, but, um, you know, a lot of it will be with if we're going to be able to financially pull it off. Okay, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see you down there. And if we do, uh, be sure to uh, to introduce yourself. I'll meet up with you sometime. I'm going to have a booth there, so we'll, we'll have to meet up. And uh, hopefully we'll see you there. If not, I'll have to meet up with you sometime in West Virginia because it would be great to meet up and learn some more from you and hear what you have going on down there uh, in West Virginia. Oh, that'd, that'd be great. That'd be great. We're always looking to build more friendships. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for talking to us. And if you have anything that comes up, call call us. Let us know. Oh, you'll 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 be hearing from me more often now, my friend. We'll, we'll be hearing about it on Yahoo. So on Yahoo News. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, God bless you. It's been a privilege talking to you. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye bye.